Welcome to the Something Quite New podcast from SQN, the Integrated Marketing Communications Agency for the Technology, Automotive and Sports Sectors. With me, Dan McLaren, on hand to talk to you through this week's sports tech events and our look at esports. This week, we're bringing you part two from our December esports panel with ESL UK, Renault F1 and esports team Fnatic. If you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you do. There may be ways until the end before you do so. But first, let's get into this week's sports tech news. It's been a busy week in the world of Formula One, with the teams revealing their cars for the coming season, which starts on the 15th of March in Australia. Though sadly, it won't include the Chinese Grand Prix for obvious reasons, and with such a tight schedule, it's unlikely to be rescheduled for this season. And there's also talk of the Vietnam Grand Prix being under threat, with the circuit only 100 miles from the Chinese border. Red Bull, meanwhile, hit the track at Silverstone as the RB16 got its first workout, whilst Renault took to the Champs-Élysées in Paris for their launch. Racing Point announced that for the 2021 season, they'll be rebranding as the Aston Martin F1 team. And Ferrari went big with a spectacular event in an 1850s theatre in Reggio Emilio, just 30 kilometres from their Maranello HQ. The season is ramping up nicely. Formula One has not been the only one to get hit, as this month's Mobile World Congress in Barcelona has been unsurprisingly cancelled after a large number of big exhibitors, including Facebook, Amazon, Nvidia, Sony, were amongst an increasing list of companies pulling out. They had put measures in place to reassure attendees and exhibitors, including temperature screening, proof of those who had been in China that had been outside the country 14 days prior to the event, and a no handshake policy. But it was all in vain in the end, and the decision became inevitable. From the biggest global events with over 100,000 attendees, it's a big hit. How this will affect other global exhibitions and conferences, we'll have to wait and see. And finally, the much-hyped non-news that the Premier League is getting ready for its own Netflix-style OTT product, which has already been branded Premflix, a name that will hopefully never be mentioned again. According to SportsPro, Premier League Chief Executive Richard Masters told members of the press the organisation has invested a lot of time and resources, beefing up its ability to sell live games direct to the consumer, adding that the competition will be ready to launch an OTT platform should the opportunity present itself. This, of course, is very different to announcing the launch of a service itself, which would be for overseas rights if it did. In this new era of streaming, they obviously have to consider and be ready if the opportunity arises. You just have to look over the pond and see how the NBA and NFL package up their content with their League Pass or Game Pass, complementing the key rights and utilising modern consumption trends. Basically, it's a big non-story in a week where there's been little football for sports reporters to concentrate on, and this is filling the gap. That's it for this week's news. Now on to the main events where we head back again to our 18th birthday event at the Ministry of Sound. Last week we started out on our esports journey with Heather Dower from ESL UK, James Forster from Fnatic and Renault F1's Guillaume Vergnas. We jump into it as we discuss the use of data and how it's utilised within a sponsorship and commercial context. Esports, as you can imagine, with it all being basically digital, is a very data-rich industry, of which I don't think we optimise any commercialisation on, really, in the sense that we, uh, particularly in big organisations, have so much data that maybe we're not packaging up the right data and selling what we do, particularly as a tournament organiser and broadcaster, um, in a way that externals outside of the very 
you know, niche ones that would want to take a broadcast. So when you look at media rights, if we're able to give all the viewership data, but then what does a concurrent viewer mean to something else? So it's a really interesting side of things. Um, data is very key in every aspect that we do. And I think I look at more data now than I've ever done before. And I already wanted to go into esports for the data side mm. of things. So it's, it's a very key way, but I don't think we make and as players, like, do, do they own the data, like, of their performances, or does Fnatic own it, or will a tournament organizer own yeah. it? It's a scary time. It's it's a tricky one in terms of like we we have access to our players' data, but, but to your point, I think, particularly because it's a fully digital environment, essentially, right? We have access to all this data, but like you said, I don't think we we position it correctly. And one of our biggest struggles at Fnatic uh, um, is, you know, packaging that data in a way that a brand can understand because, you know, I can sit, sit here all day long and t tell a brand, we have 1.3 million followers across our Twitter account. You know, they could very well just turn back and say, yes, but I could buy those 1.3 million impressions for this amount. And I know exactly who I'm going to be targeting. You, you know, we know roughly where our audience is, but you know, we need to package it better from a, like, you know, uh, from market to market perspective, because obviously we're speaking to brands that are present in some markets and not in others. Um, the other side of things is that um, I think we need to, like you said, the media rights side of things. Um, we, we we do need help personally, I think, within esports, and, it, and it's looking to outside, uh, you know, more sort of. Uh, organizations that work with these third-party data providers that can help us better understand what we're actually offering, what the eyeballs, what the actual value of that eyeball is. If 300,000 people watch a tournament, great, but what's the actual value you're going to get off the back of that? And that's where we need to improve. How much can you get from that? So if you've got a stream on Twitch or something like that, because you're reliant on them giving you the information. So it's a tricky one with, with Twitch. They, we personally don't get any data from them. Uh, I think that's, you know, we need to start working more closely within esports as an ecosystem with data sharing, because I think that's one of the things where we fall down the most in that, you know, Twitch has access to all this data. You know, ESL probably have access to all this data. We have access to all of our data, but it's sort of very much segmented. You, to, you know, bearing in mind, like we said, esports has really only blown up over the last five years so we're still a growing industry um and i think we have a, a, a ways to go in terms of like you know working together to, to build out what the total offering is within esports rather than it just being okay you're a team you're an event organizer you know you're a sponsor we need to package it all together i think there was a stat that from 2018 that the average nba player a month was worth about 76 dollars and the average esports fan of the same age group and, and per share was worth about $7. So, you know, but is that true? Because they, I mean, what data set were they using to gather that data? And we start seeing the industry being spoken about. We're like, well, you've not got any of our data. So where are you getting that from to make that? And it can be damaging sometimes, mm -hmm. but sometimes great. But then is there inflation? And we have to take very good caution with the growing industry. You know, do I go to Renault and say, hey, X, Y, and Z can give you this? We go, well, we already know we're F1. We know how to speak to that you know, <laughs> yeah. audience, right? It's, it's a difficult time. Yeah. How do you apply your so, knowledge into to esports? So um, there are importance, uh, you know, uh, in terms of this data, but there are, in, you know, a data that is like important in terms of performance, how mm -hmm. you drive performance. At the end, you know, it's a game, mm -hmm. it's a code. And you know every choice you make in a game will apply another code, and then uh, strategy can be set up thanks to that data. And um, some some of the things we do um, with the F1 game is that we realize that every car is generating 200 data points. Mm. 
thanks to you know software that we are using for telemetry or this kind of stuff. And then uh, our IT race team is capable to understand what setup um, you can apply on on the game to increase your performance driving virtually on track based on what we learn of the real F1 uh, F1 car on track. So we apply more or less the same test to uh, to to deliver performance. But it's always it's it's true with uh, League of Legends, for instance. You know, esports team they are hiring analysts as well. It's not like you have the, the the players, you have a coach, you have a team manager, you sometimes have a physio or a cook even uh, to to prepare meal at competitions. But you have as well uh, two or two three analysts depending on the game that we analyze. For instance, for Fortnite, where you have to jump to uh, to uh, to uh, to increase your your chances of win. Uh, what items you need to uh, to choose in the game to uh, be more performant and. I think there is a huge storytelling there for mm -hmm. for IT brands, and uh, I think Microsoft is doing it yeah. with uh, Cloud9, and uh, they you know they just develop uh, AI-driven technology that you know allow to uh, scan this data, understand this data to deliver performance at the end, and that's that's the storytelling that will work with uh, with esports teams. These are almost the cases sometimes you, know, you might get tech companies trying to find glitches within the games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> studying it that hard. But I mean, do you try and learn from, you know, you work with the Intels, you know, mm -hmm. whether you can mm -hmm. learn from the Renaults, Microsofts, everyone else in the world, do you look for what they can bring to the table as well as just kind of here's some cash? Yeah, I mean, we're quite lucky. I'll, um, I'll talk a bit about broadcasting and stuff as well, because like the primarily the reason why they put their logos on broadcast is to get to get reach and you know eyeballs on the brand. Um, we're quite lucky because a lot of brands are now looking to us to create the data and create revenue opportunities for them that once weren't explored. So. Um, I don't know if this is the right time to talk about it. Sorry, I'm usually bad at kind of jumping the gun. But um, we actually were awarded this year four million pounds by the government as an esports organisation. You know, like we're essentially like the FA, but for esports titles. Um, and the DCMS and the government recognised that esports could take and develop tech to revolutionize sports broadcasting for uh, a younger audience, but also an audience that are early adopt adopters of tech. Um, and so, you know, Intel were like, right, well, we need, how do you have that viewing experience and how can we better now take the, the AI that you are creating from your broadcasts um, and make a better fan experience? Can we be part of that? And so we're actually going to the bigger companies and brands and saying yes you can actually be a part of our little cool club now um and i have something actually to offer ourselves so and that's great because it's it's a mind share and i think that's really important to grow esports is that we don't close the door on very big corporate companies because we've always been the small guy um and actually say hey let's have a mind share we've got we've had to be innovative from day one Machinery never worked for us to get a broadcast out. We kind of mashed everything together and somehow made esports. Um, and so these data sets are super. They understand that if we can 
harness that into a, a seamless fan experience across multiple platforms using historic AI and current data sets and even to the point where it will direct a camera in probability of where the next team fight might be in mm. a League of Legends match. Um, and then that pushes teams' jerseys and stuff like that. So it's been really good actually working with the likes of Intel who have had you know eyes on the project and stuff because we can bring those partners in and give that additional added value. Because one of the things that's probably quite surprising with esports is part of the innovation approach is because mm. there hasn't been much to play with. No, like we you know, have. it's not a wash with money. No. So it's kind of you need to be innovative. You need to do things differently because that's the way you need to go forward. I mean, as a team, do you find that you have to try and do that and ultimately try and be like an IP owner and try and develop your own things as well? In terms of the partners that we, we work with, um, for, the, for example, the likes of AMD, the, the, the way that we sort of integrated with them is, is more along uh, sort of having hands-on product testing side of things. Uh, and the other partner I'm particularly thinking of is, um, is OnePlus, in which we work with across um, mobile. So now, obviously, esports is a growing thing. Now, mobile, mobile esports is a growing thing. So obviously, everyone uh, under, you know, everyone has a phone these days. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing a massive growth uh, in mobile esports, particularly in regions like um, uh, India, um, where, you know, more people have a mobile phone than they have a computer. And we're working more along, along the lines of, you know, figuring out the performance aspects of, of, um, of things like that. So how can we more accurately or, or more effectively get the most performance out of a, a, a mobile phone in order to drive the, most com the highest competitive edge? The same thing that we do with AMD, for example. Uh, you know, we have our players regularly visit their offices to, to test out new components. Obviously, we, we have their components present within all of our computers. Um, we run regular tests with them uh, across, you know, how to drive the highest frame rates or, or, or just generally the best performance uh, and feed that, that data back to them. And then that then comes back to us to improve our performance uh, as an organization. I just wanted to kind of finish off with an event that's happening next year mm. alongside the Olympics with the mm. Intel World mm -hmm, Pro, mm -hmm. IOC sanctioned mm -hmm. and involves Street Fighter and Rocket League. I mean, there was, there was a kind of soft launch with that around the Winter Olympics yeah. Uh, yeah. last start of last year. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of trying to push it a little bit more mainstream and trying to get into this sports audience that's going to be there? in a nation that's going to be, which is hugely tech-led as well. Yeah, so I mean, it's like quite lucky that we get to work with partners like Intel on a very close basis. So, you know, we we did all the broadcasts for the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. Um, I think when the IOC finally tuned in and were like, oh, esports, um, you know, we need it because of the younger generation. And they were quite open about saying that. That was very interesting because that really did start the, the uproar of sports versus esports debate. Mm. Um, I think that the way that Intel's approaching it is quite cool. The difficulty is that you have to make the games day safe. So what you would be able to play mm -hmm. on TV, you know, post uh, pre-watershed. Um, and so Rocket League is an incredibly skilled game. And, and actually really, although you may laugh that it's cars batting a ball around in an air, it's actually one of the, the esports titles that requires the most skill out of a pro esports player. Um, and so that's a really great title. And Street Fighter is a, two, a one versus one character uh, uh, kind of fighting it's game. It's one of the games that half the screen probably yeah, used probably, to play in the 90s. Yeah, probably do know from the SNES and stuff. Um, and so I think that approach is cool. Will it appeal to everyone? No. Will it probably have all the eyes of the esports fans? No. Will it maybe be the first touch point for the potential next pro players or commentators or, you know, developers of tech? 
Probably yes, because it has that very more broad scale of eyeballs on it. And what best is to have Intel lead it because they understand the very traditional way and they understand the very modern way. So just as a fan of esports, I'm excited to see what it will bring and um, you know inspire. For me, as a generic esports fan, I like unless I was really in the industry, I might not tune in. So it's one of those. <laughs> Is it going to be what, what, what pushes esports and traditional sports into the same thing? Like, like you were saying, I don't think there is a need to do that. I think esports is esports and sports is sports. I think, uh, I think it's great that, that, that this initiative is happening and obviously to have Intel uh, spearheading it is great. Uh, do I think that we're eventually going to see esports in the Olympics? No, and I don't think it needs to be either, right? Um, but, but, you know, I think whilst not everyone will tune into this, I think, you know, um, it will get eyeballs that wouldn't traditionally tune into esports looking into it. And I think that's only better for us as, as an industry. Yeah. You know, we're trying to grow rapidly. We're still growing rapidly. But as you can saw from that uh, initial video, there is a lot of, you know, we get a lot of back chat at us about, you know, is it really a career? Can you really like make a living off this? Is it healthy? And I think, yes, you know, so I pay my bills. Actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think anything that creates broader exposure, uh, for esports e and gaming in general and sort of sheds the light that it's not this, you know, kids just in, sitting in a basement uh, uh, in front of a computer for 12 hours and never seeing the, the light of day. I think that's hugely beneficial for, for the industry. So I'm personally really excited yeah. about it. And do you think Renault, world champions this year, Olympic champions? Well, nice. uh, we'll, we, we will see, we'll see. No, but, uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope so. No, no, it's, uh, but uh, I wanted to touch base on, uh, on what say, said Mark earlier. Sim racing is a bit uh, another part of, of, of mm. sport. Uh, you know, it's the only, I would say, the only uh, game that is very similar to yeah. a real life sport because they, are, they sit in the same position, they've got a steering wheel, they've got pedals, they need to stretch because they stay 10 hours in the, in the mm. same cockpit. To, but um, yeah, so actually to, to, to write a bit of, of this story, um, one of our esports athletes this year was a former uh, Renault Sport Academy member, mm. so a vice champion in F4 and uh, was competing uh, in 2017 in uh, Cup. Um, now he's joining the team in eSport and yesterday he was in the F1 simulator and was actually very rapid and faster than our simulator driver. So mm. there, are, you know, there are similarities that can be created and all the games are different, all the games have their communities mm. which are like completely different to another one so it's not a sport mm. but it's an universe that we need to navigate it's, into yeah. yeah i guess like i kind of categorize it more the more i work as sport entertainment mm. in the sense that it does follow some of the similar broadcast formats and, and engagement points with a fan but it's very entertaining that's what drives the industry Thank you for getting through to the end of our podcast. This has been SQN Production. You can find out more on what we do by visiting www.sqn.agency. Next week, we get to hear from a hugely experienced marketer from one of the biggest technology companies in the world. Microsoft's Consumer Marketing Director and a fellow podcaster, Paul Davis, will be sharing his views on the importance of insights, his passion for storytelling, and how he sees a sports sponsorship from the outside looking in. If you enjoy this podcast, then do leave us a rating or review as it really helps other people to find us. We look forward to bringing you more news and thoughts from the world of sport and technology next Thursday.